0: Good morning and happy Father's Day. <laughs> Did you like that video? No pressure, right? Um, when Pastor Jeff asked if I would speak this morning, um, I didn't realize that uh, that this is like one of the hardest messages to preach. I, I didn't know that because uh, until I started doing some research, and I'll be honest, I watched a few uh, sermons that other people have given, and just to kind of stir some ideas, some you know, uh, and see what the Lord would want for me to share with all of you, not just the fathers, but of course, everyone this morning. And every sermon started by saying, you know, this is the hardest sermon we preach all year. I'm like, man, I'm feeling this mounting pressure here. Thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. Appreciate that. Um, I recognize that this is a kind of day, a Father's Day can bring up a lot of emotions. Am I right? For some here, this is a really difficult day for many different reasons. I also recognize, uh, because I am a father, a father of three, that uh, you may feel as a father that you're struggling. Maybe that you're not the greatest father. Maybe some of us may even feel like we've failed as a father. If you, you don't feel like a good father, it's tough. It's tough to go to work. It's tough to do your day-to-day because those type of pressures really weigh on us. You know, in Barner Research and all these different statistics, they they don't help us either because they put more pressure on us by saying, you know, in fatherless homes, 71% of all high school dropouts are, are come from fatherless homes. Like, oh, no pressure. 71% of all pregnant teenagers come from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders, 90% of homeless and runaway children, of youth suicide and 85% of our youth in prison come from fatherless homes. I didn't mean for that long pause. I'm just trying to flip my page. You know, I didn't share those stats to burden us. There is already enough pressure on dads and really on society. I do want us to recognize, though, that those are stats of children with no fathers in their lives. So I think that it should cause us to pause, cause to pause, to see just how a powerful impact fathers have in children if we're not there. So, but the reverse is also true. See, fathers that are around, are engaged in their children's lives, have a positive impact. For example, studies have also shown that children with with actively involved fathers are 43% more likely to earn an A in school. Teachers should really affirm fathers, right? If they they want to see more A's and vice versa, right? They're also, um, with fathers engaged in their children's lives, they are twice as likely to enter college and find stable employment. 75 less likely to have teen births, 80% less likely to spend time in jail, and 50% less likely to experience multiple depression symptoms. So it makes a difference. Maybe we could even sum it up by saying, dads engaged in lives matter. Okay, that went right over. Dads engaged in lives, they really matter. Being engaged is hard though. Um, We work long, stressful hours. You know, some might say, Peter, you don't understand. I work a couple jobs. I work 168 hours a week. For those of you who are quick with math, that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So hopefully that's not you. You are a robot, if that's you. Um, But yeah, there's some of us who, we are so busy. It's like, how do we be engaged? Being engaged is hard. We work long, stressful hours. It takes intentional thought, action to be engaged. Wouldn't it be great I'm going to get an amen. I can tell from my fathers. Wouldn't it be great if we could solve everything with some well-placed words and phrases we like to call dadisms? All right, dads, I need your help with this. All right? So dad's favorite sayings. I'm going to start it, and you dads are going to help me finish it. Are you ready? Money doesn't grow on. Were you raised in a, do you think I'm made of, you guys are good. I think you've said these before. don't talk back to your or mother <laughs> i'm not sleeping I'm just resting my eyes when I was your age. I used to walk to school uphill both ways or in the snow as I 'm from Minnesota <laughs> i'm not going to tell you again if your friends jumped off a cliff <laughs> Waste not, that's right, they don't make them like they used to, yeah, stop crying or I'll give you, don't tell your, you'll understand when, a little hard work, many hands, good night, don't let, And you guys are so good. You know, I find myself as a dad even saying some of these dadisms or phrases. I don't think we can solve the world's problems and we can't buy these little phrases, but they, they don't hurt, right? Um, my dad used to say a lot of these phrases too. In fact, I'm honored to have my father here and my mom in service with us visiting from their church. And so I won't make you stand up, but uh, Dan and Mary Swanson are here with me. And I'm very proud to have them here. <laughs> You know, um, I'd like to take a moment, since I have the microphone and you don't, is I'm going to honor my own dad. He, um, you know, many of you know that I'm involved in missions, been involved in missions probably most of my adult life because I was raised in a home that put an emphasis on mission and that mission to love Jesus. And he modeled it. My parents were missionaries um, in Ecuador for 15 years. You can uh, show them that next one. This is uh, probably a little more of an embarrassing picture for me and my sister, but I love the hair, Dad. That was nice. He was a medical missionary, and uh, he worked tireless hours. There was a couple years there where he was the only one on call that could administer anesthesia, and he was there. You know, it was a sacrifice um, that our family did have to make. But, you know, um, I have memories as a child that even though my dad, was, as soon as that phone rang, he had to sprint um, to the hospital. We lived near the hospital there in the jungle of Ecuador. But he took time and he, he prayed with us, he read with us. And um, so I just want to honor my dad. Thank you for teaching me to love Jesus, <laughs> appreciate it. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I saw my dad do was Love my mom, and I don't know if there's a greater thing that fathers can do is to love the mother of your child. They've been married now for almost forty-six years. Yeah. And there's another another man that I'd like to honor. He's now with Jesus. My father-in-law. We call him Pops, or I call him Pops. And uh, one thing that um, I will never ever forget about Pops, we were visiting. Um, they're home in North Carolina at one point, and uh, he had asked me to preach at his church up there, which I was honored to do. I was, it was amazing. He allowed me to step into his pulpit, and I woke up early. I couldn't sleep. I was stressed, you know, going to preach, and um, I found out that I wasn't the only one awake, and he was in his little study, or like, it was kind of like a, one of those three-season rooms. And I could hear him in there. And I went to look closer, he was on his face, praying, and I heard him praying for all of his kids and his grandkids. He was praying for me, for that sermon that day. And I know for a fact that he prayed for his daughter, Amy, that she would find a husband. And so I'm grateful that he, he did that. And so I, ha- I have to honor my wife, even though it's Father's Day, you made me a father. Thank you, Amy. And I'm great, I'm amazed, I I have amazing three kids and I'm so proud of them, Selah, Abby, and Josiah. I love you all. Just so happens that one of my kids has a birthday today. (laughs) Abby turned 14 today. So, um, it was very appropriate, I felt, that when we named her, it was on Father's Day weekend, of course, and Abigail means her father's joy. And you are a baby girl. I'm so proud of you. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about Jesus again. Uh, so my attention, um, intention today isn't to add more pressure to us as fathers, okay? Burden you with heavier responsibility than you already feel. Rather, my goal is to encourage all God's people to honor the role of fathers, to affirm that this role is God-given. It's God-given and an integral part of our church family. Do you realize that? These are pillars of our church family. We need fathers. Finally, uh, I want to remind us all that God has given us everything we need to raise a generation of Christ followers. Can I get an amen? We have everything we need to raise a generation of Christ followers. When you look at the young people around us, when you look at our young adults, and you might feel fearful, you might be disillusioned. Maybe you young people feel disillusioned. Just know this, that there are fathers who have been chosen and placed in our lives. And God has given us everything needed everything we need to raise a generation of Christ followers. Let me show you what I mean. We were chosen, Genesis. In Genesis, it says in chapter 18, 19, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised us. So see, we see clearly here that God chose the role of the father to do what? Direct his children to direct his children. When we do this, there is a blessing. What did God promise Abraham? It's not written in this scripture. Anybody remember what God promised Abraham? What that blessing is? Anybody? That he would be a father of many nations, and his children would be as numerous as the sand on the sea, sand on the seashore. So, of course, children are a blessing. Why are you all looking at me like that? No, no, God says children are a blessing. (laughs) Thank you, somebody. I have a friend, he has uh, seven blessings, and uh, his name's Tony, and he was telling me that uh, on a Father's Day a few years ago, uh, he... (laughs) He said that his his kids wanted to, you know, wake up and make them breakfast and everything. And he's got ranging from 12 down to like uh, four, I think. And uh, he said he heard him in there. So he tried to, you know, stay down and keep one eye half open. And, they, you know, sooner or later, the, the, uh, I think it was the eight-year-old comes in. He's got some eggs. And then like 10 minutes later, the bacon shows up. You know, it was like half an hour before he's like, I, I wonder if I'm going to get any coffee. Finally... The littlest one, very carefully, is carrying in this cup of coffee. And he said that his son was so excited to give him this cup of coffee. And he, he was like giddy. And he's like, oh, hey, buddy. He's like, happy Father's Day. And so he says... He took a sip of that coffee. It was the worst. He almost spit it out. But as dads, we can't do that, right? Even if it's the worst beverage ever to go into our mouths, we have to, oh, buddy, that's the best cup of coffee. And Tony said his son was just going, yes, yeah. Daddy, take another drink. (laughs) No, no. He goes, there's a surprise in it. He's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's like, come on, Daddy. So he tried really hard to, you know, get it as far so he could see in the cup. And down inside the cup were two little army men, plastic, you know, with guns. And his son says, Dad, you know, the best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup. Children are a blessing. <sighs> when my girls were little, I remember hearing a sermon, much like this probably, to encourage me to direct my children, raise up a child in the way they should go. I remember thinking in the pew where you all are sitting at a, at a different church, thinking, I, I, I just want some sleep. You know, like this is hard. Um It's really hard, but life is busy, right? No matter what stage of parenting you're at, whether you have a newborn, raise your hand, father, if you have a newborn or a little one. Any of you? Yes, I see you in the, (laughs) Andy. So you have to watch Andy back there, make sure he doesn't fall asleep. But their toddler stages are busy, you're constantly running after them, making sure they're not grabbing stuff and knocking their heads, and school age, oh my goodness, now you're driving them places, you got to be at all these things, teenagers, I have entered the, whew, whew. teenagers, need I say more, I don't have college kids or adult children yet, but I am one, I'm an adult child, and so um, I can only imagine that the, those of you who have adult children, it doesn't stop, does it, you know, we worry about our kids. You know, there's a separation there a little bit, and they, we hope that they've spread their own wings and they've left our basement, especially because Floridians don't have basements. So if you have a basement, then you better check on your adult son, daughter. But, um, you know, it takes intentionality. Like I was saying, many fathers are very good providers. You know, that's an important thing, especially in our Western American culture, be a good provider. Uh, does talk about that in the Word of God, that we are to pro- we are provide for our families. And we work long, hard hours and make sure that the children have what they need. However, if providing everything they need keeps us from being with our families, then we've got to let some stuff go. Am I right? Look at the intentionality God lays out for fathers in Deuteronomy 6. Take a look at this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them. Kind of sounds like, no, that's not what it means, though. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. That's, a, that's intense. That's intense. I mean, to me, that sounds like God is saying, telling fathers, take every moment possible to instill the most important things in their children. Man, that's that's a lot of pressure. Peter, you said you weren't gonna put a lot of pressure on us today. Just hang in there. First of all, it says these commandments. Well, what are these commandments? What are these commandments that seem to be so essential to pass along to our children, that we may raise up a generation that follows after Christ. Well, I think we all know that the great commandments, the 10 commandments, are part of that, that, that Moses is, is teaching the people of Israel. that God has said, but right before it, verse five, I didn't read verse five for you, so take a look at verse five. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus, of course, he reminded us, he reminded his disciples that throughout, the, throughout his ministry on earth, the most important thing, and didn't he model it? I think it's interesting that Jesus, the fully God, he was also fully man. And he relied heavily. In fact, he says numerous times, he does what? Nothing without the Father. He doesn't say, he doesn't do anything without the father. That's how connected he was to his father. Interestingly, while Jesus was on earth, he was never a father. He was only a a son and he was brother and probably cousins and, and friend, but he was our savior. But Jesus passed along this message that he said, his father is given to me and I am giving to you to love God. Love others and teach them to teach others how to love God and love others. You guys, Deuteronomy 6 is discipleship. And it's not just fathers. This is every single person in this room. You call yourself a Christian. We teach others to love God and follow God. Simple but not easy. As Christians, we follow after Christ. This is what he commands us. As it says in the Great Commission, we are to go therefore and make disciples. As parents, there is no higher calling. As a father, we have been chosen, remember? Chosen to direct our children. Not only are we tired, we don't have much time, but for many of us, we don't know where to begin. You know, hey, we got a roof over the heads. They got clothes. They got shoes on their feet. They got food in their belly. Done. We don't know where to begin. And I, I admit to you, I remember times where I'm like, I don't know how to do this part. Really, I don't know how to do this part. We don't know what it really looks like. There's good news. Here's the, taking the pressure off. Look what Jesus says after he has told them that he is going to be leaving. All right, he's, he's meeting with his friends. He's told them that he was going to be leaving them. They're they're stressed out. So he he consoles them and he reveals something incredible. This is a game changer, and it is extended to you and to me. It is a game changer. He says in John 14, he says these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, we will he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What Jesus has chosen for us to do is impossible. No pressure. Jesus, what he has chosen for us to do, not just as fathers, but as his followers, is impossible. But he says it right here. You have been given the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been chosen to do something that you didn't know how to do? I remember a time in high school, I was invited to a I guess it was a a youth retreat or a camp of some kind. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I was invited by a friend, and so, you know, I was the new guy. I had no idea, and I remember the very first night we had thrown all of our stuff in our rooms, Um, you know, we had laid out the sleeping bag, got all set. We were supposed to be back into this auditorium for, like, the evening festivities or whatever that looked like. I had no idea what was going to happen, and so I'm in there with, I don't know, probably 70, 80 young people, just like me, teenagers, high schoolers. And uh, I assume it was the youth pastor or some kind of camp director. He gets up there. He doesn't know me. And he said, hey, he starts going off like, we're about to witness something amazing. We have in our audience somebody who could, he's like been in the gymnastics, Olympics, blah, blah, blah. He does this triple axel, double back flip, blah, blah, blah. And he's gonna come and do it for us. And I'm going, whoa, this is so cool. I'm glad I got invited. He's like, he's right back here in the back with the red hair. Come on down here. And I'm like a deer to headlights. I'm like, what you some other redhead? Well, and, and I'm, I'm literally I'm frozen. I'm like, what is going on? Is this a practical joke? I mean, I'm so confused. I've never been an Olympian. I haven't even been in gymnastics. I can do a cartwheel. And I'm just, I I don't know what to do. He's been asked, he asked me to do, I was chosen to do something I had no idea how to do. I felt afraid. I felt angry. I felt like completely scared. I wanted to run out of there. I actually went up there and I don't know what happened. I think I did a cartwheel, but I like flubbed it and everybody laughed and it, Ended up being fine, but I was so embarrassed. It was crazy. It is the worst feeling to be asked to do something that you don't know how to do. Fathers, mothers, people, we've been asked to do something impossible, but here's the difference. We have been given the Holy Spirit. In verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 14, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Think about that. Think about that. What did Jesus do while he was on this earth? Besides go to the cross and then raise from the dead all the ministry, all the miracles, raising the... the." The uh, Lazarus from the dead, healing the blind, all of those things. He says, if you believe in me, you will do these things. You will do even greater things. How is this possible? And he ends his little sentence there by saying, because I'm going away. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, okay, Jesus, if you're going to do that, then and I'm supposed to do it, but you're leaving, then how am I supposed to do this? It's because he has sent us the Holy Spirit. You know, we can do the impossible. We can raise up a generation that will love God, raise up another who will raise up another because we have been given supernatural power and the counsel from the Holy Spirit. We may not know what the next step is in parenting, but he does. We just have to learn to hear his voice. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? It's like the eight rowers in one of those boats. You ever seen those long regatta boats? They call them shells. Um, The eight rowers in the boat have to trust the one sitting in the very back. The one sitting in the very back, he's crouched low, um, he doesn't have any oars, and he's the only one that can see forward. Because see, rowers sit facing backward, and they row like this, he is the only one who can see forward. He calls out commands to make course corrections. He calls harder or right or harder or left, double time, all these things to avoid crashing or capsizing. And you know what? I should just show you. Can we roll that little clip? See the little guy right in the front or the back? Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh oh my. Well, cool. um, hmm, you know, rowing, how hard can it be? Fatherhood, how hard can it be, right? You know, what happened there? They literally lost the guy. I mean, it's hard to say exactly, but in all likelihood, someone didn't follow the command. You know, there's another key role in a regatta boat, besides the one who calls out the commands. It's the rower that sits closest to the one coaching. This is the eighth seat, also known as the stroke seat. This rower is typically one of the most experienced, definitely one of the strongest, (laughs) But the most important reason a person is placed in this role as the stroke seat is because they are consistent. They are known for their technique in being consistent. When they hear the command, they respond and set the pace, and all the other rowers who are watching so, so that they can sink their strokes. God has chosen fathers to be in the stroke seat. We are setting the pace, my friends. We can't see what's coming, but the Holy Spirit is coaching us to lead our families. You know, it says in Proverbs 27, the righteous who walk in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Is that what we want? You know, I was looking in the Greek and this word blessed in this, in this meaning, it means happy. You know, have you ever heard that phrase? I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy, son. You know how you can make them happy? Walk in integrity. It, it, this verse, in another, in another word, it says, a father's children will be blessed by his honest, consistent example. You know, a few things, and this is true in my family, my kids can be like, yep. Few things frustrate children more than inconsistency and hypocrisy. Integrity is modeling what you say is important, right? So we all make mistakes, that, that's clear. We, we, nobody's perfect. You know, even Babe Ruth, he was known for all, this, all the uh, home runs, right? Like, that, he's known for his home runs, but guess what he's also known for? A stat that's one of the highest for him strikeouts. What do you think that is? Because every time he stepped to the plate, he gave it everything, everything. And he is known for home runs, but he made a lot of mistakes. He struck out. We all make mistakes, but if we can admit when we are wrong, we demonstrate importance of humility to the people we are leading, families, our wives, people we work with, we demonstrate humility. Hypocrisy, though, would be like when we do something we claim isn't right, so we do the things that we, we say are wrong. When Then when we are called on it, we don't admit we're wrong, and then we demonstrate pride. As parents, this is one of the most frustrating things for our kids. When we live a life of integrity, Proverbs says, our children will be blessed. So, as we listen carefully for the Holy Spirit in prayer, Paul also gives us a few key instructions for leading our family. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16 real quick. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's break this down real quick. So be on the alert. In other words, be watchful. You know, I know a lot of, um, actually, I'm one of them. Uh, You know, I'll go in a place and I, I'm kind of like got that tunnel vision, you know? And it takes others sometimes to be like, whoa, whoa, you, don't, you just almost stepped out in front of that bus, buddy, you know? Like be on the alert, why? Because the devil is like a lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. As leaders, we gotta be on the alert, see what is coming. And when we can't, we are listening to the Holy Spirit alert, vigilant, stand fast, stand firm in the faith, not just stand fast. don't Guys, this doesn't mean just be stubborn. This means to be steadfast, persevering in the faith. You know, it gets hard to be, uh, it says act like men. Now, let me clarify this. This isn't saying don't act like a woman. It's not saying that at all. It's telling men, don't be a child. These are times to act like a man, not a little weenie child. You got to step up to the plate. This is what Paul is telling the men and the people, the Christians, the church in Corinth. And then it says, of course, be strong. You know, I was looking through that. Be strong doesn't mean like it's this declarative, but it's like become strong. Work at being strong. You may not feel, how many feel weak sometimes? I mean, I feel so weak so many times, not just physically, except for when I'm around my brother-in-law, Jeremiah, who does strongman competitions. Then I feel super weak. But I mean, I feel like I have so many faults. I'm like, I, I, I'm so weak in all these areas. And so Paul is saying, you know what? Work at it, be strong, make yourself better. You know, these are things that we have to be intentional Grow strong. Let all that we do be done in love. You know, there may be a few here today that feel like me. Like maybe we've blown it here and there. There's some of you here that, you know, you don't know. You don't know your kids. Maybe some, some children here that you don't know your family. And Some of you who have lost yours. And this is a difficult time but I want to remind us that we have been given the Holy Spirit. We feel too much time has gone by maybe. But the Holy Spirit, there is a God who can redeem that time. Malachi 4.6 says this, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the role that God is playing. He will do it when we look to him. It's never too late for God to do something extraordinary in your relationships. Let him turn your hearts towards each other. Maybe there is something you need to say to forgive, to say you're sorry for,